Well, church, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing today? Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for being so excited back there. That was great. <laughs> so good to see all of you here. I'm so glad to, to be with us again this morning as we continue in our God Has a Name series. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus 34, uh, verses 6 and 7, we're going to be camped out there for a little while uh, this morning, and we'll, we'll look at a few other things as well. Um, I don't know if you guys have really paid attention to this, but like, I'm sure you have noticed that there are ads and adverts everywhere that you look. And so this week, I was doing a little bit of research. I was doing some study to see like, how many ads we see on a typical day. Each person, on average, sees, you ready for this? 6,000 to 10,000 ads a day. And like, when I heard that, I was like, there is no way. Like, there's no way that's how many ads I'm seeing. But then like, you start thinking about it. It's like, anytime you turn on the TV, there's an advert. Anytime you walk into the shop, there's, like, there's ads and there's, there's posters, there's, there's the magazines, there's all these things that are doing ads, even on social media. Like, I don't know if you've realized this, but if you get on social media, every, after every three posts that you see, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, there's an ad. I don't know if you guys catch this. Every third one, there's an ad. Then if you're even looking at stories, like every third story that you see is an ad, but if someone posts multiple stories and they have more than three, guess what? They show you multiple ads to catch up for that. They're just like everywhere. And so this week, after I was reading this article, I was like, okay, let's, let's do a little experiment. And so I just read, I just counted the number of ads that were on that one single page that I opened up. You ready for this? 41 ads on one website, one page. I didn't even click off anything else. It was this one simple page. That's not even talking about the ads on the bottom that were changing as I, as I was watching. It was just like, that's how many ads were here. And it's like constantly, they're, they're showed to us all the time in marketing, like they, they know what they're doing. They're doing this on purpose. If you guys ever had one of those moments where you were like craving something or wanting something and you didn't really know why, it's the power of marketing. Like you're, you're seeing these and you don't even realize that we're seeing it. It's kind of soaking into our subconscious and it's just like, oh wow, that, I didn't realize that I wanted this. And so as we study this passage in the name of God, in a lot of ways, that's what, that's what the Bible is doing for us. Is that he's continually giving us this ad about who God is. So as we've said every time in this series, Exodus 34, 5 and 6, or 6 and 7, is the most quoted Bible verse by the Bible. And so the authors of the Bible are constantly and consistently just shooting this ad up for us, showing us, trying to get this into our subconscious to know who God is. And they're not trying to sell us the latest gadget or the most recent in fashion. They're trying to teach us the reality of who God is. And so constantly as we read through the scriptures, we're going to see this, this pop up time and time again. And we just heard it played again. I just think it's good for us to read this together. Once again, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love on to a thousand generations. I will forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parent upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and the fourth generations." going to pray for us quick and we'll, we'll dive into our, our text. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. God, thank you that we just don't have to sit back and guess and wonder what you're like and, and think and speculate what you're like, but God, you lay it out for us in scripture. You tell us what your name, who you are in your name, and God, all throughout your scriptures, you, you're reminding us about yourself. God, we thank you for that. 
Lord, I just pray that you're with us here over the next few minutes as we study your word. God, I just pray that, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be glorifying to you. Lord, and it's my prayer that not a single one of us leave here unchanged this morning. God, that your word will, will change us, will transform us into the people you desire us to be. Help us to be more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first two weeks in this series, we've talked about how God says that he is Yahweh, and then we, he says he is Yahweh Elohim. So if you missed that, you can go back and watch that. Um, those past sermons, you can check those out. But the first characteristic, so he gets those two, and finally he gets to the character of himself. And the first thing that he says is that he is compassionate and merciful. Perhaps your translation is just compassionate or gracious. Either one, whichever one, whichever one feels good to you is fine. Like they both kind of mean the same thing. And so as you, you think about this, so you think about a God who's compassionate and merciful, maybe that for you is like, no, I don't, I don't think that's true. It's like maybe your view and your picture of God isn't actually a God of compassion and mercy. Maybe when you think of God, you think of someone who's like watching you with like, a, with like binoculars and just waiting for you to mess up so that he can just like smite you or smote you, whatever, however you say that. Like you're just ready for him to destroy you. Like maybe that's what you, you view God. And if you view God that way, it's, you're going you're gonna to see some things differently. Or maybe you think of God not necessarily as compassionate and merciful, but more like angry or like bitter or vindictive. And so like we, we start to sneak God this way and we don't have a proper understanding of him. And God is saying, no, no, it's not what I'm like. I'm compassionate and I'm merciful. And maybe as you read through the Old Testament, you're like, you see some of the things that God does and you're like, okay, how does that fit with, with God being compassionate and merciful? Guess what? Next week, slow to anger. Hold that question until next week because we'll get there. We'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that. But God is saying to him about himself, he said, I am I'm compassionate and I'm merciful. So what I want us to do to start with is let's just understand the words. Okay, let's, let's get a grasp of, of what these words actually mean so that we can kind of come to grips with what God is saying about himself. So let's primarily look at the word compassionate. It's, it's Rahum in the Hebrew for anyone who is, is considering that, taking up Hebrew and wanting to learn that. And so that's the way this word is translated. But what's really fascinating is the, the Hebrew word Rahum, it, it's, it comes from the word that in Hebrew means womb. All right, so, so think about that for just a second. This word that God is saying for compassionate comes from the Hebrew word womb. So compassion in the Hebrew Bible is centered on the very core, the very essence of who we are. It's, it's from the very beginning. It's the very start of who we are. This word, it invites us to imagine a mother's compassionate and loving feeling towards her children. And we get an example of this in Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, 15, I, the, the people of Israel are asking God, God, have you abandoned us? God, have you turned your back on us? God, have you forgotten us? And here's what Isaiah writes and he speaks for God. He says, God says, never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? Even if that was possible, I would not forget you. So God is giving this. He's like, you, you think about that love for a mother has for a child. God is saying, that's, that's me. That's the love that I have for my kids. And I remember when, when our children were born. Like when Ava and Emma were born, there was like this moment of like, and Stephen kind of admitted to this a couple of weeks ago, but like both of our kids were born either late at night or like we had been up all night. So when, a when Ava was born, we had been up for like 33 straight hours when she was finally born. And like, so we were tired and I was exhausted. I just remember thinking like, I can't do anything else. Like I can barely function. I can barely move. And, and somehow, some way, like 
Tiffany is like taking care of this child and all I want to do is sleep. But she's caring for our kid. And when Ava was born, she had to go up into the NICU. And so there was this moment because Tiffany had a section and like she was like paralyzed from the waist down for like 18 hours. And I had to leave the hospital. And like, and so I talked to her the next morning. She was like, yeah, I wanted to go up and be with Ava. So I, I persuaded an intern nurse to get me in a wheelchair and wheel me up to the NICU so that I could be with my kid. And man, as I was reading this moment about God, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's it. This is the compassion that God is talking about here. Like this feeling, this beautiful picture of, of what a mother feels like for her kid. This is what, he, what he's saying. And so this idea of rahum, this, this, this Hebrew word, it, it describes this deep emotional connection. And this word can also be translated sometimes deeply moved. We see this in, in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings 3, two ladies have a baby. Not the same baby, but two ladies both have a baby. And unfortunately and tragically, one of the babies dies. And so the, and then the moms are fighting over which one is which. And, and they bring them to Solomon. And Solomon is like, okay, I've got a solution. We'll cut the baby in half. You can each have one. One half of the baby. And, and the, the mom, it says this of her, the, the, the real mom of the child, she's, she's deeply moved. And she's like, no, no, you, you just keep the baby. I would rather someone else have it than for it to die. And, and that's how it, it, it describes, and that's how he finds out who the kid is. And this is the word that we're seeing here, this, this idea of deeply moved. And so I love this. I love that God is revealing himself to God. Our Father is revealing his love and his compassion of that of, of a mother. Because if I'm real honest, like I think about my parents. I have great parents. I love my dad. But when I think of compassion and merciful, it's my mom that I think of. Like my dad sometimes can have compassion and sometimes he's merciful. But for the most part, like it's my mom that I think about. And maybe, maybe you're the same way. And God is telling us like that is, that is what I'm like. And that is who I am. And so as we begin to look at these words and we start to understand them, one of the cool things about compassionate and merciful is, is they can kind of be used interchangeably. Like if you do like a, a word study on the word compassionate, guess what's one of the synonyms that pops up for compassionate? Merciful. If you do a word study on the word merciful, guess what's one of the other words that you can use? Compassionate. And, and so like in a lot of ways, God is saying, I am compassionate and I'm compassionate, right? Or I am merciful and I am merciful. But as we begin to understand these, we look a little closer. There's a little bit of nuance here. So this word compassionate, it really centers in on, it focuses in on this idea of, of not punishing someone that is not giving a punishment that's deserved. And it's a relational type of word. And so that's what we begin to see is like, it's an undeserved forgiveness in, a, in the context of, of a relationship. And so as we look at the word merciful, this focuses in on like giving and caring for the needy and giving mercy to those who are in need. So if anybody wants a math equation to go along with this, to put these words together, here's what God is saying about himself. He's saying compassion plus mercy equals relational forgiveness to the needy. So that, that's our math equation. If you, if you like keeping those, that's fine. Um, let me give us a translation, though. Here, here's, here's, here's what I want us to see. The Father offers compassion and mercy in the context of relationship with Him. This, this is what He's saying. As we walk through the Scripture, this is what He is letting us know. is like compassion and mercy are, are available in the context of relationship with Him. Notice, like, it's, it's undeserved. You guys see that? Spoiler alert, we're all the needy. We're all undeserving. 
And as we look through the story of what is happening when God is saying his name, there is no way that Israel is deserving of this compassion and mercy that God is offering him. So in other words, we find compassion and mercy in the context of relationship with God. This is where we find true compassion. This is where we find true mercy. It's in the context of relationship with our Father. This is, this is where compassion and mercy are found. Now, if, if God just says, I am compassionate and merciful, and if he doesn't back that up, so? Like, if that's not actually what he does, then, like, why, why should we care? Like, think about this. Have you guys ever had one of these moments where, like, someone talks a really big game, but then, like, they get in that situation that they've talked about, and you're like, okay, like, th- they don't actually back up what they say. Maybe they're, like, the, the fake tough guy. You guys ever had one of these people in your lives? Like, I, I know I have. Where they're like, oh, man, if I was there, I'd have punched him in the mouth. Or, or, and I don't know, when every time I've practiced this, that's just kind of come out gangster. But, like, they try to be, like, super tough and cool. It's like, oh, they wouldn't have talked to you that way if I was there. No way. And then, like, they get in that scenario, and then, like, hey, dude, where'd you go? Like, they just, like, disappear. It's like, okay, they talked a big game, but when, when the rubber met the road, they were just like, nah, nah, I'm out. Or maybe it was like a sports guy. And they talk all this big game about being so good at sports and, and like ready to go. And they've got, all, they've got the shoes. They've got everything that they need. And, and then they, they can't play. This happened to me in university. Like there was this guy who, was, who came to university with us and he came in a little late. So he wasn't able to make the, make the, the basketball team. But he spent the entire semester telling us about how good he was, how great he was, how, how great he was at basketball. And like, I was young and naive at the time. And I was just like, oh, wow, you must be really good. Not thinking, okay, you're at a Christian university. Yeah. And I, started, I didn't start putting the dots together. But he, he was even going on and on and be like, yeah, I could have played in a real, real big university if my coach wasn't like a jerk to, the, to their coach. Or I, I would have been there. I'd have got a scholarship. And like, I just started to believe him. And so the time came around, we got on the court to play and he was terrible. Like, let me just say this. It wasn't the coach's fault that he wasn't playing in university. Like he was awful, but he had spent his entire time, this whole like three months telling us about how great he was. And, and, and so it's just this moment. And so if God is just saying like, hey, I'm compassionate and merciful, but if he's angry and vindictive and, and like holds a grudge, like, does it really matter? Like if, if I come up to you and you're in need of a surgery and I say, hey, I'm a doctor, you're not gonna trust me on that. You're not just gonna be like, okay, sure, I'll let you do, operate on me, that'll be a good idea. Like just because I say it doesn't mean it's true. If we're, on, if we're flying together and I just crawl in the cockpit and like, hey, I'm gonna fly this airplane, it'll probably be fine. Like you're not gonna trust me in that. You would be very unwise to hand me your finances and be like, hey, can you be my accountant? Like, that would go terribly wrong. Like, and so if God doesn't actually do these things, then, then we're in trouble. But God, he says he's compassionate. He says he's merciful. And friends, the good news for us is he backs that up with some action. Not just some action. He continues to back that up time and time again. And if we remember, if we just flip back two chapters to Exodus 32, we talked about this the first week we were together. As there's this moment where, where Moses has been up on the mountain, he's got the Ten Commandments, he's had this incredible moment with God, and then the people of Israel, they, they start, they build this calf. And God is like, that's enough. And he says, I am going to destroy them. I am going to wipe them out. And then Moses intercedes on, on the people's behalf. He pleads for them. He says these things. He says to God, he says, turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Remember that you have the promise that you have made to your descendants. This is what this is what he does. Like Moses is literally he's reminding God of his character. He's reminding God of who he is. He's saying, "Hey, remember you are compassionate and merciful. Remember who you are. Remember those promises that you have made. Turn from your anger because this is not who you are. You are a God who's compassionate and merciful." Has anybody seen the movie Moana? All right, just to, uh, to, to be fair, I have two kids in my house, two small girls, and they, to be honest, even if I didn't, I probably would still like the movie Moana. But like, there's this moment in the movie Moana where Moana is like on her way to like restore the heart of Tafiti, and like she, she has a little bit of a letdown and things don't go quite the way they're supposed to, and, and Maui runs away and she throws the heart, and she's like, I'm done with this, and like she's just ready to quit, she's ready to, to give up. If you haven't watched Moana, you really should. It's a solid movie, all right? But like, there's this moment where it's like, she has this like vision of like her grandma. And her grandma like is just talking to her. She's encouraging her. And she asks her this question, who are you? And Moana says, who am I? I'm a girl who loves her island. I, I'm not going to sing the whole song for you. I could, but I won't. But she, like, she rem she's reminded who she is. She's reminded like what she's been called to do. And it's in that moment when she's reminded of who she is, she, she acts, she goes and does what she's, what she's meant to do. So this is what Moses, not in a, in a very rough way, and this is what Moses is doing for God. I'm not saying God is Moana, but he just reminds God of who he is. It's God, remember your character. Remember you are compassionate. Remember you are merciful. And, and here's what he says at the end of verse 34. So God, God, or chapter 34, after we get the name, here's what Moses is really bold to God, like in a, in a good way, not a, a bad way. He's really, he, he's forward. He asks God, he says this in, in, chapter, in verse nine. He says, oh Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and a rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquities and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. If God isn't compassionate, there's no way he's going to lead his people. If God isn't compassionate and merciful, there is no way he is going to forgive their, their iniquities and their sins. If God isn't merciful and compassionate, there is no way, there is no hope for Moses' question to be answered, for them to be his special possession. There's no chance of that happening. But here's what God says in verse 10. He says, listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the world or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display to you. So God says, yeah, I am compassionate and I am merciful. And even though Israel doesn't deserve it, even though they have screwed up time and time again, I am still going to keep my promise to them because I am a God of compassion and mercy. I am still going to do what I said I was going to do. I'm going to keep my promise. And here's what we, what we begin to see. Is this idea, this name, compassionate and merciful, this is where the entire book of Exodus has been, been driving us towards. This is the moment. This is where the entire story of Exodus has been heading. Just, just think about the story of Exodus for a minute. It starts by saying God heard the cry of his people because he is compassionate and merciful. God saves Moses 
because he is compassionate and merciful. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in a basket because God is compassionate and merciful. Pharaoh's sister happens to be there and and gets to bring Moses back to her mom to be weaned because God is compassionate and merciful. God rises up Moses to, to free his people because God is compassionate and merciful. God sends these plagues to set his people free and and the Israelites are exempt from many of them because he's compassionate and merciful. When they begin to walk out of Egypt, the Egyptians are like, here, take my gold, take my animals, take this, just go because God is compassionate and merciful. And he gets to the, the edge of the Red Sea and there's a Red Sea in front of them. There's soldiers behind them and God parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land because God is compassionate and merciful. Then when they're out there in the, in the wilderness, they're like, hey, we're hungry. God is like, okay, I'm compassionate and merciful. And he drops down manna from the sky for them. And then they're like, well, it would have been really nice to have all that meat that we had in Israel. And God's like, okay, here's quail because I'm compassionate and merciful. God lays out what he expects of his people. It's like, this is what it looks like to live for me because I am compassionate and merciful. This is where the entire story has been heading. This is the themes that are driving the story, compassion and mercy are the themes that are driving the Exodus story. And can we just be honest? These are the themes that are driving the the entire Bible too. Like these aren't just a theme that we see in the book of Exodus. We see this continue on through through the story of the Bible. And here's what I want to make sure that we hear. Compassion and mercy are not just characteristics of God. They're actions of God. Compassionate and merciful, they're not just adverbs or adjectives that describe God. They're verbs. They're they're who he is. They're actions that we do. They're things that we do. Think about the story of of Jonah and and Nineveh for a minute. So Jonah, Jonah, God is told, God tells Jonah, like, hey, go to Nineveh. You need to preach to them because I'm going to bring down destruction on them. So you go preach to them. And and Jonah's like, peace out, God, not doing that. And you you guys kind of know the story. Get swallowed up by a fish, bit up on a whale, and finally he ends up going. And so Jonah goes and he preaches this, this sermon that's essentially like, hey, God's going to kill you. See you later. Like he, he does the bare minimum of the sermon. But something incredible happens. Somehow, some way, like the people of Nineveh repent. Like, they turn away. And this is what it says in, in Jonah 3 verse 10. It says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. He had compassion and he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. You guys see the progression there? God saw, God had compassion, and God acted. This is what we see throughout scripture when God deeply moved, God has compassion for his people, and he does something about it. And here's the beautiful thing about the Ninevites. They're not God's special people. They're not God's chosen people. They're not the Israelites, but still when God sees their repentance, his heart is moved, his heart is changed, and he is moved towards compassion. We've already talked about here is is what we see is this word being translated deeply moved. And I love what we see this playing out with God. Because this this is the story of the gospel, isn't it? Is that God being deeply moved by his great compassion and mercy sent us Jesus, our Savior. God saw that our greatest need was that of a savior. And being moved deeply with compassion, he sends us Jesus to be our savior, to be the, the one who intercedes on our behalf. And this is, this is really cool. This is a little, little nerd note for us here, okay? So we, we've talked about how the word compassion comes from the word womb. So this is what we see in Jesus. 
we see that God's compassion occupies a womb and is born in the fullness of God. Here's what we see. It's from a womb that the full extent of God's compassion and mercy is born. And of course, that's, that's in Jesus. And we see that, that, that Jesus is the invisible image or, or the visible image of the invisible God. And so out of a womb, God's compassion is born for the world. And so if God is a God of mercy and compassion, then Jesus must be a God of mercy and compassion, right? Right. I guess it's not hard at all to start scanning through the Gospels, the story of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and start seeing some of these. I just, just jotted down a few, of a few of them for us here. Matthew 14, 14, it says this. It says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So he has compassion, and he does something about it. Next chapter, Matthew 14, or 15, 32 says, I feel sorry. I have compassion for these people. They have been here for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want them to send, I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. And then Jesus goes and feeds the 4,000. Matthew 20, Jesus felt sorry. Jesus has compassion for them. He touched their eyes. Instantly they could see and they followed him. So Jesus heals two blind guys out of his compassion. Mark 1 says this. It says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, can you heal me and make me clean? He said, Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Mark 6. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out of the boat. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching many things to them. And so he teaches them. He also feeds them. This is when he feeds the 5,000 in Matthew 6. Like we just can constantly see this moment where Jesus has compassion. And that word is really, really significant for us, friends, is having compassion and. Jesus has compassion and he feeds them and he teaches them and he heals them and he loves them. Like Jesus has compassion and. One of my favorite stories of this comes from Luke chapter 7. So if you want to flip in your Bibles to Luke 7, we see this beautiful moment of, of Jesus having compassion and. So Luke 7, starting in verse 11. Give us just a second to, to get there. So verses 11 and 12, we'll read these first. Here's what it says. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to a village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral possession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young, the young man who had died was the widow's only son, and the large crowd from the village was with her. Notice this. Like, Jesus just shows up, and there's a funeral going on. It's not like, hey, this isn't like Jesus' best friend's mom who, who's died. Like, no, this is just a random place. Like, we don't really know who this widow is. We just know that Jesus shows up to the city and there's a funeral happening here. And what we see is that it is her only son. This is really significant for that day and age. So not only is she a widow, but she has also lost her only son. And in that day and age, what would have typically happened is when a woman would have lost her husband, the, the son would have been, it would have been his responsibility to, to care for her. Now, if she loses her, if she loses him, like, best case scenario, she's a beggar. Worst case scenario, it's a death sentence. Like, and that's what we begin to see playing out here. And, and it's like, this is this moment. 
It's like she has lost her, her, she's lost everything. And we don't even know, maybe there's some daughters involved too, and they're destined for the same fate as well. It's like, there's just, just things, things are going bad for her. Like, this is a terrible, terrible moment. And one of the things that I love about Jesus, it's almost like these situations and these moments are the ones that move his heart the most. It's like these are the moments that Jesus' heart beats for and that he cares so deeply. Like it's in moments where everyone is walking away and all hope seems lost that Jesus walks in. We see this in in verse 13. Let's keep reading. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. I love this word picture. Overflowed with compassion. Luke, who was writing this, he's a doctor. And so he's kind of getting us this idea of like his heart is bubbling over where he cannot contain his compassion. There's just so much compassion that's rising up in him. He has to do something about it. You guys think about this for a second. You ever had one of those moments where something in your house started to overflow? Maybe it's a tub, maybe it's a sink, maybe it's a cup you're filling up. How many of you were just like, oh, wow, hey, that's overflowing. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. No, what, what do we do? Like, we, we, we act, right? We're like, oh, I should probably turn off the faucet so the, the, the tub doesn't completely, like, ruin everything. Like, when, when stuff begins to overflow, we start to move into action. And this is what is happening with Jesus here. Is like, his heart is overflowing with compassion. He, he's compelled. He's like, I have to do something about this. And Jesus says, don't cry. Now, if we stop there, that's terrible advice of what we should do with someone in need. Just This one's for free. If someone is going through a difficult time and a hard time, don't just tell them don't cry or, or don't be sad. We, we, we shouldn't do that. But thankfully, Jesus has a reason to help her not to cry. So let's continue on reading. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Notice the words there. Notice the the verbs, the action that happens here. He walked over. He touched it. Like Jesus is making his way. He's acting. And here's the thing, friends. Compassion requires and demands action. Like this is what is happening here with Jesus. Like he has to do something. This is what compassion compels us to. It demands this of us. It requires us to act. On Tuesday, we were, I was out barbecuing, and, and Ava was out riding her bike around, and, and so I'm like grilling my sausages and like having this moment where like they're start, the, the grill is starting to flare up a little bit because like there's a lot of oil and grease and stuff going down on the grill, and then I just hear this like scream that I, I have never heard her do before. And like, then I just hear like this wailing of a cry. And so I just like leave the grill and just like start taking off and running after her. And like, she's ended up like crashing her bike and like somehow she's like banged her chin on the ground and like blood is like running down her chin. And so I just like run up and grab my daughter and like holding her tight. And in this moment, guess what? I don't really care about the sausages that are burning on the grill. I don't really care that my daughter is getting like blood on my, on my sweatshirt at the moment. What? The only thing I care about is my kid. And like, as I was thinking about that moment, and like, I was actually just like a few hours before studying this passage, like in a very small way, that's the way God feels about us, is that's the way that God feels about every single one of us. St. Augustine says this, he says, he loves each of us as if it was only us. This is the power, this is the love that God has for us. And so compassion, it moves us to action. Like it wouldn't have been very compassionate for me to be like, 
Hey, honey, you're, you're, you're probably hurting here. Like, you should get up. Or like, hey, Tiff, can you take care of Ava? Like, that's not compassion. Like, we had, compassion requires action. If it doesn't, it's just sadness. And it's sympathy, which isn't the same thing. Brene Brown in her, her talk, The Power of Vulnerability, talks about the difference between empathy and sympathy. And I love the way that she describes this. She says, sympathy looks at you in a pit and says, wow, you're in a pit. Sorry about that. And walks away. Empathy sees you in a pit, gets down in the pit with you, helps you see some clarity, helps you get some, some perspective, and helps you out of the pit. Here's the thing, friends. Sympathy isn't compassion. Sympathy is Jesus going up to the lady and be like, don't cry, see you later. That's, that's sympathy. It requires nothing of us. Empathy is compassion. Empathy walks over. Empathy does something about a situation. Empathy requires and it demands action. And I love the way that this story ends in verse 16. Here's what it says. Great fear swept the crowd. And they praised God saying, a mighty prophet was risen among us and God has visited his people today. Notice the response. Yeah, there's a great fear. There's praise that comes out. But catch this last statement. God has visited his people today today. When we are people of compassion, when we are people of mercy, people see the Father. People see the God of compassion and the God of mercy. This is why Jesus says in Luke 6, he says, be compassionate as your Father is compassionate. So what about us? How do we do this? How do we be people of compassion? How do we be people of mercy? How do we be people who show, what the world, show the world what our Father is like? And I was just kind of going through this in my mind this week. It's like, okay, I can give, I can give us three steps. Give us three, here's three things that you should do. And we're going to have a few examples in a minute. But I didn't really want to do that. I just want to give us a prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that I've been praying this week. And I, I would love to encourage you guys to, to pray this with me. And, and here's the prayer. It's God, give me the eyes and the heart to see the people you see, the way that you see them, and act accordingly. Take, think about that for just a second. God, give me the eyes and the heart to see the people you see, the way that you see them, and to act accordingly. If that's what you guys want to be about, may I just encourage you, just pray this. You can say it to yourself. You can say it out loud. I don't care. If they, this is what you want to do. And you can change this prayer variation or whatever. This is just what I've been praying that God would help me to do. But this is some sort of thing like this, asking God. Because here's the thing, we can come up with a checklist that we can tell you about eight different things to do, but God's Spirit is a lot better at doing that than us. And God's Spirit can show us and guide us along the way. So if you want to pray this with me, feel free to do that. God, give me the eyes and heart to see the people you see, the way you see them, and to act accordingly. Amen. And I just pray that like, that's what we're doing. So as the people of God, how do we do this? And one of the things I think we tend to do is like we like to overcomplicate things, right? We like, to, we like to make things really complicated. Let's not do that. Let's keep it simple, which is really good for me. And so let's, let's keep it simple. Maybe just, we just give people the benefit of the doubt. Well, we can be compassionate and merciful. We live as people, we, we look at people as they didn't mean it, rather than what's that supposed to mean, people. If someone needs a lift, someone needs a hand, give it to them. Like, be a person of compassion. If someone cuts you off in traffic, 
If someone like has a, an, uh, says something rude to you, someone cuts you a bad glance, be a person of compassion. Be a person of mercy. Not just to their face, but behind their backs as well. Be, be, a pe- be a people who does that. You see someone struggling with a difficult situation, do what Galatians tells us to do. Carry one another's burdens. We maybe, like, unfortunately, not many of us are going to be like Jesus and be able to heal somebody who's dead. But we can bear somebody's burden. We, can, we might not be able to take the burden away, but we can tell them, hey, you're not carrying that on your own, though. I'm going to carry that with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. Have a cup of tea with the widow in your neighborhood. Invite the lonely person over for dinner. Here's a, here's a difficult one. Forgive people who have wronged you, even if they don't deserve it. Because here's the thing, forgiveness, we don't deserve it anyway. Don't hold past offenses against people. This week, I had a moment where, where I had a chance to practice this. I was waiting for someone who was supposed to show up and meet me somewhere, and I ended up waiting like 45 minutes, and they didn't show up, and like I started getting aggravated. I started getting angry, and I was frustrated. I was like, well, and then God just like, hey, Luke, remember that sermon that you just practiced like five minutes ago? You want to you try that? You want to try to be compassionate and merciful? And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Yes, let me do that. And so I was like, you know what? It's fine. It's all right. It's like something could have happened. He could have like got caught up at work. Who knows what could have happened? It's like, so I just chose to be compassionate and I chose to be merciful. And I know this won't happen every time, but when I did, it was seriously like this weight just lifted off of me. It's just like, wow, okay. Like I wasn't frustrated anymore. I wasn't aggravated or annoyed anymore. It's just like, you know what? It's okay. Because we're choosing to be people of compassion and mercy. And this is one of the things, like it's something we have to practice it's something we have to work at. We have to continue to do. It doesn't always come easily. It doesn't come natural. But remember, friends, when we are people of compassion and mercy, the world gets to see our Father, who is the God of compassion and mercy. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you.